All right, gang, welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show, the best Tuesday you've had all week. Matt, are you stoked to be here? I am. It's my favorite Tuesday. Yes. Love it. I'm actually kind of wishing I was outside because the weather is just wonderful. Right? It's finally like spring. It's just tiptoed in. I know mm-hmm. it got hot last week. I was, I missed it. I was out of town. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. And where I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and it just wasn't as good. How was the weather in Nashville? Uh, I was mostly in a hotel, so I, I can only tell mm. you so much. It was overcast, though. Uh, the temperatures were pleasant. You know, it was probably... High 60s, low 70s, overcast, pretty mellow. Did you get a chance to break away from work to get out and maybe enjoy a concert or some good food? Zero. No, I literally arrived on Thursday evening and went from the airport on the shuttle to the hotel where I remained on the grounds until Sunday morning when I got on the shuttle at 5.30 a.m. and left and then went to the airport and flew back. Wow. Yeah, it was all work. No straight. Plan. Well, you know, it was a good kind of work. This was uh, a different kind of concert that wasn't. Uh, sorry, a different conference. Conference, yes, yeah. conference concert. Uh, anyway, it was it was great to go. Uh, got a lot of value out of it, but nevertheless, it was pretty much all focus time. Very little, uh, you know, breakaway. There was mm-hmm. there was no chill time. It's not like I could, you know, go take in any of Nashville. Yeah. So that's all right. There'll be other trips potentially. So, and that's uh, still the things that were gleaned. True wealth moments, no doubt. Mm-hmm. How about you? How was the weekend? The weekend was full of work. When it's nice outside, you got to get stuff done and plants grow quickly. And so, you know, the grass doesn't mow itself and the bushes don't prune themselves. That so. is true. You know, this is one of my favorite qualities, by the way, for all of our audience members. Matt is a get things done kind of guy. It's true. Right. And and so that is he's always teased about um, the completion index. And you think like there's a spectrum from the on one end of the spectrum is I don't do anything. Right. Just an ultimate couch potato. Uh, I will go ahead and say it kind of a loser. Right. If you do nothing, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to call you that. Like, really, that's your day is just sitting around doing nothing. But, you know, cons- you know, wasting oxygen. Nope, not cool to the other end of the spectrum, which is like, you need to sit down, you're driving everybody crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And It's a you know, fine balance, isn't it? You're a strong nine. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I felt a moment of weakness. It was getting dark last night and I'm pressure washing the driveway. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay to just go spend an hour inside relaxing. You can you can do this. You it can quit pressure okay washing. It is okay to charge the batteries every now and then, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and of course, I've talked about this many times on the program that there is this balance in the world. And imagine that you don't have the responsibility necessarily of doing all of the things. Part of this is, what is money? It's really just an equation of how you're trading your time. 100%, right? It's how we trade our time, Yeah. right? So it's kind of a store of time. Some people are better at leveraging time, or some people can claim their time is perhaps more valuable because the skill that they have is really scarce. Mm-hmm. And so when something is really scarce and people want it, then the price goes up, right? Beachfront real estate, scarce and people want it, price goes up, mm-hmm. okay? LeBron James, whatever, some other better example of a player that's less controversial these days, right? Yeah. But, you know, professional athletes, elite level of skill, and people want to watch it. 
Mm-hmm. So lots of people are willing to pay for it. Therefore, it's it's considered valuable and merchandisable and people will buy stuff because the athlete wears it or says to buy it. So those are all examples of how you leverage your time. The, the key here is now some of us, the leverage is limited. And I'm not making a judgment call about this. But if you go to work for somebody else and they have a job that they are enlisting you to do, what you've done is you've made a trade saying, I will be compensated this much to do the job that is required, mm-hmm. right? And the job has been defined as this much worth or compensation, and then you decide whether or not to do it. Right. And if you accept that level of compensation, then you're in, in essence saying, I agree to this. And therefore that's the value of the time that you're willing to accept. All of this matters uh, it, believe it or not, there's not going to be a show about minimum wage. If somebody went there and been like, well, what about our living wage or this, that, and the other? Not going to debate it with you. <laughs> not, That's not a deep, do dark it. rabbit hole, isn't it? I'm not going to do it because I'm just going to sort of stomp my foot down and say, there is no world in which you can demand at a job be more valuable than it is. Mm-hmm. Right? You can legislate and force people to overpay for it, but all you're going to do is just like create damage in the system that's going to get pushed around and just it's like you just keep revving the inflation meter when you do that that's all this really comes down to that's kind of the the net result of it is that anytime you do that it skews things and it and it drives things out of natural pricing order right Mm -hmm. if you mess with the invisible hand of economics right now the extreme of this and you don't want a completely invisible hand because in theory everything would become a monopoly at which point you could be held hostage and have to pay what you have to pay, right? This was this happened a few years ago with insulin, or I'm sorry, uh, with uh, epinephrine, right? You remember EpiPens? Yeah. And this guy mm-hmm. went to jail over it because they basically said we're going to increase the price of uh, our EpiPen by 800 percent. Why? Because we can. Because there's no other competition, and because screw the world, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And that guy went to jail. Really? Yeah. I didn't know he went to jail. Yeah. Yeah. The CEO was a young guy. Cocky dude, went to jail. I think he got out, but he went to jail for like three years. Wow. Yep. Price gouging. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, there are really hardcore free market capitalists that would say shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. The problem was that there was no, because of patent protection and so forth, there was no other way to deliver via EpiPen, right? There right. Was, and this, there was is a li- this isn't like a free choice thing. Like if you have to right. have it, you have to have it. Well, yeah. and, and also, the FAA is a barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Right, FDA, not FAA. FAA is the yeah, I knew federal yeah. Yeah, aviation administration. FDA, Food and Drug Administration. You know, they make rules about whether or not you can have competition in the space. Incredibly expensive to get in. And so there were these huge barriers to entry. And so these guys took advantage of it. Right. That's really what the issue was, is that competition couldn't step in because there were legally imposed moats. Mm-hmm. So they got an sort of a brief period of monopoly and that was the no-no right and then the question is ethically is it okay to take a drug and profit 800 percent on it above what you were already profiting a bunch on and again there will be those that argue that yes and those that argue no i'm not here to argue that i'm here to say that's an example though of when you create monopolies you create a problem but also when you intervene and say pricing must be some way then what you're saying is all of the other jobs need to adjust as well, right? That's the problem. Yeah. Like, 
should a 15-year-old that's babysitting be making a living wage because everybody deserves a living wage if they're working? No. That's the easy answer. No. I agree. That is a starter job to learn how to do something, mm -hmm. right? Should an unskilled position be a living wage position? Probably not. Like, it get a skill. It could be if there weren't other workers willing to do it. That's okay. the other piece. But this yeah. is where we have the government intervene in funny ways. I've had arguments about this, like prevailing wage. I'm not a fan. Mm -hmm. okay? I do not believe that the government should be using prevailing wage to bid jobs. Right? Because the government already has a minimum wage in place. It already has all these other things. And so somewhere, I believe, and if I'm mistaken, fine, correct me. Right? But if I'm not mistaken, then check this out. Somewhere... Unions negotiated with the government and said, you cannot allow non-union contractors to come in and bid for a job against union um, outfits, and they can mm. undercut us on labor. So you have to make the labor the same. And then the unions get and then to the set union the price. Convinced the, and then the union yeah. said, everybody sets the price at union labor. Right? That's prevailing wage. Right, so they're getting a premium and the taxpayers are paying it. Exactly. I think that if the private sector wants to compete, in a, if a non-union shop's willing to compete with a union shop, then the union shop just needs to be better. Mm-hmm. Be better at it so you can earn the contract. Right. Okay? That's how that works. It shouldn't be the government protects us from having to compete. But the unions have almost, in a sense, monopolized that space. Perhaps. Yeah. Right? I, didn't, I don't want to turn this into a dog union's show either mm -hmm. that's not the point the point is that again when you start to influence the free markets there will be unintended consequences many of which lead to inflation and we've seen a lot of intervention lately with the fed coming in and raising interest rates so we've yeah. seen the intervention and it's having an effect not just on the fed Realize that the Fed didn't really raise the rates. Mm. The free market did. Okay, It's true. It was okay. a reaction to the free market. Well, yeah. the free market is raising rates right now because of inflation. Now, if you don't believe me, I need you to stick around today. Because we're going to unpack some of this, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about what does this mean. So maybe it's not just the Fed. Maybe it's not just the Fed, but... We're going to take a break first, and when we come back today, we're going to talk about how interest is getting interesting. Mm. That and more. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. Remember? Dave where did you leave us off? Oh, well, you were going to tell us where they can find yeah, the podcast. podcast mm -hmm. plug, right? Shameless plug for our podcast. Of course, you may be listening right now and going like, I'm on the podcast, duh. But if you're not, you can grab them at any of your favorite podcast places. Check out the True Wealth Show and look up Little John and you'll find us. Uh, today, Matt, really, really wanted to talk about is the impact of interest rates. Yeah. Right? We've talked a little bit about just the fact that there are lots of things that actually contribute to interest rates, mm -hmm. but what was what was kind of fun, and I want to unpack this a little bit with you, is you started to say, well, yeah, and look at what the Fed has done with interest rates, but I would go like, aha, careful, careful, right? Because it's not just the Fed that influences interest rates. The, the free market 
does a lot with interest rates. Are you are you kind of like hinting at the fact that the way that the free market sets prices that that's kind of the driving factor where if you know we have too much money chasing these goods that that's the issue or what's your angle here? I'm curious. So the angle is it's actually pretty simple. That when there is inflation, mm-hmm. okay, and the market knows it. So like, like this is the thing. Anybody that's in the financial arena has been rolling their eyes and like throwing up in their mouth every time that some government official stands up there, Federal Reserve or otherwise, and tries to talk out of both sides of their mouth that printing some odd trillions of dollars is just transitory inflation, mm-hmm. right? Like, no, it's not. Enough with the bull crap. Yeah. Like, like this is just, it's maddening. We've been saying it on this program the entire time, right? This isn't an I'm right, you're wrong statement, by the way. It's just a get real and stop gaslighting us statement. I'm sick and tired of having public officials in mostly non-elected positions, but in elected positions too, trying to tell us something that's just patently not true. Like, well, the data that we have chosen to manipulate to try to make the case we're trying to sell to you implies that it's not as bad as you think it is. And then we all turn around and go, why is every single item in the grocery store 25 to 50% more? Why is our food, our energy, our housing, all of the things that we have to pay for in real life way more expensive? Yeah. Right? Oh, well, you know, wages went up too. It's like, I got news for you. If you used to make $12 an hour and now you make 15 but everything that you used to buy went from $5 to $8, it's not enough, right? right. The few bucks an hour more you're making didn't offset how much everything else. We, we backpedaled on lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? And so everybody effectively is getting poorer right now because of the effects of inflation. And this all comes down to like, somebody had the Microsoft Windows 7 theory of the economy when we got COVID. It's like, we'll just turn it off and back on again. It'll love that'll make it work. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not that simple, folks. It's no! not that simple. <laughs> you can't turn it off. And and again, we've been ranting for years and, and and who cares? So some dude on the radio rants. It's not the point. The point is you cannot print trillions of dollars and dump them into the economy. Like remember, we printed something like four trillion dollars mm-hmm. in an economy in an economy that was at the time worth about eighteen trillion. Okay, map that puppy out. That was almost twenty percent more money than previously existed. And just flood it right into the system and see what happens. Yeah. How can it do anything but create inflation? And then I guess the next question is is by raising the rates, is that enough to fix it? I don't know that fix it's the right yeah, word. Why, so it so seems why like are a, the rates higher? All right, let's 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 take a step back. Oh. Why are they raising rates? To try and slow spending, really. That's what it comes down to. If people aren't spending as much, the inflation should cool and then that should help with the problem. So it's so many layers to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's Again, they're trying to do that, but there's just under the hood of this, when the policymakers are looking at this, what they're trying to do is slow the creation of money. And take some money out of the system. Well, right. Taking money out of the system by, because remember, the system is based on fractional reserves. This is kind of what has gotten the banking system in trouble, 
right? The whole thing about like First Republic is gone. It's mm-hmm. going to be J.P. Morgan now. Yep. Right. Silicon Valley Bank is gone. It's going to be First Citizens Bank now. Right. These are banks that they're they're sort of gobbled up because they had lousy balance sheets that didn't have enough reserve assets when they needed to be able to pay back their depositors. Mm-hmm. That's because the law doesn't say you have to have a dollar in the vault for every dollar that a customer has on deposit with you. They loan those dollars out for other people to do projects with. It, they only need a fraction of the money. What's weird is to think about the fact that there's more money that is loaned out than exists. Uh-huh. That's the hard one for a lot of people to fully understand, I uh-huh. feel like. And it's that is where we run into the problem. In the system. Mm-hmm. When rates go up, that leverage comes out. And the idea is there's less money around available to chase after the same number of goods. So that should be deflationary, mm. right? Slowing the amount of money. Because when there's more money to chase the same amount of goods, right? Everybody wants that beachfront property. And so the leverage and keep getting pulled. And everybody gets more money in their pocket first. Mm-hmm. They can all bid people up more to try to get that property. Yep. But if everybody gets a 10% haircut in terms of what's in their pocket, there's just not any more money to bid for that thing. So the demand drops because there's less money. Well, and it's working. We've seen it, right? There's some demand coming out of the marketplace. Yeah, we hear things like demand destruction, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, We hear things like uh, the unemployment rates starting to climb. Mm-hmm. Like employers are not hiring the way they were any longer. That, by the way, is very difficult number to wrap your arms around because the gig economy has changed so much. There's so many more people working as sort of like a collection of moonlight jobs where they're getting 1099 income instead of a traditional job. And even the way the government collects those statistics is pretty antiquated. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the jobs It's hard to trust are, the numbers. Yeah, They're, they're not great. Right, yeah. they're not great, and, and that baffles me too. Because you think we're used to saying like, "Well, good grief, everybody's got a cell phone in their hand, and Google knows where we are all the time." How can the government not figure this out? And it's like, just they can't, right? The systems mm-hmm. aren't that great; they're just not. Uh, maybe the government figures it out when the CIA or the FBI gets involved, and they're like, "Well, you know what? We have federal permission to access all the different inf- information centers, and we can reach from branch to branch and aggregate that data. Maybe then they can do something." But do you think just in general, like, you know, the IRS is sharing data with our county clerk? Hmm. No. <laughs> right? No, they're not. So the government doesn't have the, the kinds of resources to get clean data that we assume that they do. Mm. That's part of it. And anyway, the, 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 back to the original point, though. The marketplace has figured this out. The market sees the interest rates. And despite what the government may be saying... It has said, for example, high yield bonds, the yields have gone up. Mm -hmm. Why does the yield on a high yield bond go up? First, what's a high yield bond, Matt? It's where you're loaning, in simple terms, it's where you're loaning your money out for a given period of time, and then you get some interest back for loaning that money out. And then once the maturity date hits, you get your money back. Right. It's you making a loan, and a high yield is a low credit quality loan. Yeah. Okay. That's a Bonds are always you making the loan, right? If you buy a government bond, you're loaning money to the government. Mm -hmm. They're agreeing to pay you interest for a period of time, and they'll give you a balloon payment at the end and give you your money back. 
and the probability that you get your money back at the end is why you care about the credit rating, right? Mm -hmm. Government, your probability is basically as close to 100% as you can get. It will be 100% unless our government doesn't exist anymore, at which point none of your dollars matter. Yeah. Because the government has a printing press. They can give you back the money even if it's toilet paper. Right? They can. So you're going to get the money back. The question is you're going to so get the purchasing they, power back. Right. And so and that's one of the reasons why they can give you a little bit less as a percentage than some of, like you just mentioned, the high-yield bonds, right? Like the government doesn't yeah, low have low credit to, risk. Hey, Carnival Cruise Lines, mm-hmm. right? We have another COVID. Does Carnival exist anymore? Right. I don't know. So if you're going right? to loan them money, you're probably going to want to loan to them at a higher rate than if you're loaning money well, you to the better, government. Yeah. If you got if you got a few brain cells to rub together, you're like, how, how long do I have to loan them the money for? They're like, well, 10 years. Like, 10 years is a long time. A lot can happen in 10 years. But for 30 I, days? Yeah. <laughs> well, 30 days is, is less of a risk. It's not mm-hmm. a zero risk, but it's a lot less. Because in four weeks, I get my money back. Mm-hmm. Okay? But when I'm going out 10 years or 20 years, I need to get enough interest to keep my purchasing power relevant, right? And there's a lot of unknowns between now and 20 years from now, or even now and 10 years from now. And it was really weird to watch short-term rates be higher than long-term rates, because you just talked about, you know, you would expect if you're going to take on the risk of, you know, letting someone borrow your money for a long time, you would expect to get paid more. But, well, let's come back to that because yeah. I think that's super interesting. But I, I want to, I want, for our listeners, I'm putting a couple things together here. Okay. Like one of them is what is the market suggesting if the Fed hasn't done anything to interest rates, but high yield bonds have yields going up? First, what mm. does it mean? Like, if, like let's say that you had a, a Carnival bond. Matt, Matt, you made a loan to Carnival two mm-hmm. years ago. It was a 10 year loan. There's eight years left on the bond. And you the yield is going up what does that mean to you first of all what has happened to your bond well it's worth less because if someone wants to go buy it from me say i loaned it at two percent right mm-hmm. and now carnival is saying hey you know we'll pay you six percent no one's gonna want my two percent bond because they can go and get it at six percent so if i want to offload it i've got to sell it at a discount to them Right. You keep dropping the price until the time left of your bond pays the same relative interest as somebody buying a new bond today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means you would have to sell at a loss. Right. So it would suck for me if I was already holding the bond at a really low rate. Yeah. So this is part of the whole interest is interesting theory. Number one, all of the loans out there are inversely related to yield. So look, if you are getting a loan, you're delighted to see interest rates go down, right? You want to go buy a house right now and you want to get a mortgage for 30 years, you want a super low rate. You know why? You're the borrower, Mm -hmm. right? Not the lender. See, and this is one of the things that got First Republic in a bind is when home rates were, you know, in the twos, they were loaning out money faster than, you know, a lot of other banks. They were issuing home loans all over the place and then their balance sheet was loaded up on these really low interest loans and they got themselves in trouble right especially and i don't know the whole story you know a lot of loans are actually underwritten not by uh, they're underwritten by the banks i mean the banks do the analysis and they package them up but they're shipped off to 
Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Mm -hmm. These are quasi-government entities that then they sort of warehouse all the loans. So because they're somewhat guaranteed by the government, you know, a lot of the time the banks are just conduits to make the loans for these other organizations. However, some banks do what they call portfolio a portfolioing the loans, meaning it's the banks loaning out of their own lending pool, right? Mm -hmm. They're not farming it out to another entity. Right. Well, and they were doing and, it to members, and right. they had so some really wealthy Republic members. Story, it sounds like. Yeah. Yep. So thin rates go up, right? Now remember, if you're a borrower, you want low rates. But if you're a lender, mm -hmm. which First Republic was, you don't want to be lending at low rates only to have rates go up a bunch. And quickly. <laughs> and now you're stuck owning loans that you have to honor. If you wanted to sell them to another bank, they're not interested because they're upside down now in value. Mm -hmm. And so they have a problem, especially if those loans are part of their collateralized reserve requirements to be a legal mm -hmm. bank right because they just dropped in value and so the reserve assets they thought they had are worth less not worthless but worth less than they were previously it can cause liquidity issues right and so well the and the liquidity issue simply means the bank doesn't have enough money on hand if people come and try to cash out right and in their case the issue was is their deposits dwindled significantly the people weren't putting money into the bank right and if you don't put the money in there's not the money to make the loans if there's not the money to make the loans the banks don't make money and that was the problem right and so that's where we get into these issues and then all of a sudden the depositors are like well then i better get my money out the bank says there's no money here mm -hmm. and then the fdic has to step in and go well looks like we have to guarantee these loans that you failed at which means you're not a bank anymore boom okay so interest is interesting, mm. and it has significant ramifications. Interestingly enough, still, we haven't even touched on whether or not the Federal Reserve is the ones causing the rates to change. Uh, they're oh, going to have to stick around yeah, and wait for this. I mean, I wonder, are they? We'll talk about that after this obscene profit break. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM at 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where today Matt and I are slicing and dicing interest rates. Interest is interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's the total podcast uh is that the title, right? Is that the title? I think, I think we we're going to run with that. Okay. So, um, look, we if you're just wondering why the hubbub, so the Federal Reserve's meeting right now. They're trying to decide whether or not they're going to raise interest rates. Oh, was rates that today? Hold. It'll come out tomorrow. They're in meeting right now. Okay. They'll make announcements tomorrow. And the funny thing about this is a lot of people operate from this position, like the Fed sets interest rates. Mm-hmm. And the Fed sets part of the interest rate. But I, when I say this, then it's like some folks will raise an eyebrow. The, the market sets interest rates, right? You, as an investor, set interest rates. If I were to come along to you right now and say, hey, would you let me borrow money for 10 years at 2%, you're going to look at me and go, kick rocks. Yeah, or, or more colorful expletives, right? Yeah. I've been like, no, why, why? Why would you do that? And if mm -hmm. you said yes to it, I'm like, okay, that's just weird. 
right? Then you question, you know, do you not know something or what's going on here? Because there's actually not a point historically where it would make sense to loan money out at 2% for 10 years. You would lose purchasing power. Right. Right. The Federal Reserve has said it wants 2% inflation, which would mean you'd basically be getting back the same money you started with. That's like burying your money, right? Yeah, it's not an investment. No. It would just be hoping to not go backwards. Right. But if inflation maintains at the higher levels that we're seeing in this five, six, maybe 10 or more percent, depending on which metric you use to measure it, you're going to lose your shirt on that loan. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't agree to that. Nope. Not not in your sane and fully informed mind. Mm-hmm. That's the market deciding something. How, like, Matt, how much does it take to get you to loan somebody money for 10 years? Right. Well, it comes, I think where we're going with this is it's what someone's willing to pay, right? Like that's kind of what determines price. Yes. And so when it comes to loan instruments, which are traded in the secondary market, mm-hmm. okay? So you you can buy a bond that somebody else bought first. When that bond first came out, they bought it and then they sold it to the, the secondary market and it's been trading hands. Mm-hmm. And you can buy a bond that was issued a while ago and you're just getting your hands on it today. You can hold it to its maturity and collect the the bonus or the, the the balloon payment at the end, or you can sell it again to somebody else later. So, and in fact, the bond market, in terms of the amount of money in circulation, bigger than the stock market, right? right? By by pretty good margins. There's a lot more money in the in the bond ecosystem than the stock ecosystem. In fact, that is where most people say the smart money is. The bonds are the smart money. Because it's more predictable in a sense. I'm going to air quote that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think air quotes are around more predictable as Because, well. I mean, it still fluctuates in value, right? Like if you go loan out, then I think that's where people often get confused. You could go get a 10-year bond, but it might not be worth as much in the future. Mm-hmm. Unless you, I mean, barring you hold it to maturity. Well, and here's the The prices thing. can fluctuate. You could buy bonds Let's just, I'm not advocating you do this. You let's can buy bonds. Right now. Okay. Let's say that you could buy, let's use that example of Carnival, because I don't know that it's real. Okay. Right? But Carnival Cruise Lines, they go out and issue a bond right now. And because of their credit rating, they need to borrow money. And let's say they want to raise a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So they're going to take out a billion dollar loan because they're going to replace their fleet of ships and they're convinced that it's going to you know, make them a ton of money over the next 10 years. Okay. And they are willing to pay. 10% interest on that bond. Well, that's pretty tempting, right? It's pretty tempting, right? Because so 10 if years, I can, 10%? Yeah, if I can go loan money out, I mean, 10% is maybe kind of close to what you could get in the marketplace. Right. Well, let's say that you buy that Carnival bond mm-hmm. at 10%, and then rates start to drop mm-hmm. from... 10%, and let's say the prime rate right now is 5 It's not, but let's just say it was. Mm-hmm. And let's say it goes from 5% to 3%. Right? That's a 40% decline in the prime I'm gonna rate. I'm going to look really smart. Yes. What you could turn around and do is sell your Carnival bond to somebody else. For, because that bond yeah. is now yielding closer to 
probably, well, I've still got 10% on it, but relatively speaking, it's way more attractive than the rest of the marketplace. Yep. You could sell it for more than you bought it for. Yeah, you could sell it for a premium. Yeah, bonds can appreciate. Mm -hmm. What happens is over time, the price of the bond is going to become what the balloon payment is at the end. Right? If like mm -hmm. if a bond's maturing tomorrow and it was a thousand dollar bond, it's worth a thousand dollars the day before, pretty much. Yeah. Right? Like it just is. So that because but a month before it might be worth a little more or a little less than a thousand. But five a year, year before or five years yeah. before, it could be all over the board. Right. And people trade bonds and make profit on those trades. A lot of people think a bond is like a CD. I buy it and I just wait for it to mature and I collect the interest the whole time. Mm -hmm. Not so. You can horse trade bonds for profit. And it happens all the time. Oh, yeah. So you can also lose money on bonds if you're horse trading. Go figure. <laughs> so... I think it's important to recognize that all of this interplay of interest rates matters. It does. Okay. It matters in a big way because it's not just effect, affecting the, the equities market. It's the bond market and more. Well, in fact, it, it probably, I typically think of it as affecting the bond market more, but it does affect the equity markets mm -hmm. quite significantly. Right? Yeah, because money flows in and out of equities, right? Like say the bond market, let's just play in theory here. If you could go get bonds that pay 12% and they're high-quality bonds, would you be playing in the equities market at the moment? That's part of the decision. Certainly, right. yeah. I yeah. Mean, what? But what if bond rates are 1%? Are you going to go lock up your money for 1% or would you be in the stock market? So yeah. that, that's one piece. Yep, you're, you're, and you're flirting with something. Um, also, the, the quality of the credit really does matter. Mm -hmm. Because what you just pointed out is how the quality of the credit and the rate is a relative consideration to the price of a stock. Right? Absolutely. I'm going, hey. And we've seen that with dividend-paying stocks lately. Yeah, so the, the concept is what we call the risk-free rate of return. Mm -hmm. Okay, So it's typically associated with the 10-year uh, treasury. 10-year mm -hmm. right? treasury, risk-free rate of return, or the one-year treasury could be the risk-free rate of return. But I believe the 10-year is the typical. Kind you of look the at. benchmark, so, yeah. So if that's the risk-free rate of return, then when you buy a stock, you need to receive not only the risk-free rate of return, but some risk premium for the volatility you'll experience from the stock market. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, this is something called the capital asset pricing model. Right? It's, it's a formula that people use where they use the risk-free rate of return and some of the other metrics buried inside of the different fundamentals of the stock to come up with a value for the stock. Okay, And if you see rates go up, Federal Reserve increases rates, that essentially is going to push the risk-free rate of return higher, mm -hmm. which is going to have an implied impact on the price of a stock using that pricing model. Right. Now, why do I say using that pricing model, everybody? Because there's not agreement on a pricing model, right? Just so we're aware, it's not like the stock market, everybody says like, oh, this is how you do the math and that's what it's worth. Nope, some people say, well, that's how you did the math. I do the math a little different and I think it's worth that. Yeah, everyone's interpretation is different. Right? And that, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call a market. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't all agree on price, but when a buyer and seller do agree on price, a transaction can occur. Right? And if you got a whole bunch of bunch of bunch of people 
willing to evaluate what it's worth to them right now. And there's a lot of, a lot of factors, right? Some of it is the future price, but some of it is how much do I need the money right now? That is all consideration. Tax policy gets baked into it. Risk-free rate of return gets baked into it, which is also the same as saying alternatives that I could invest in instead. Those are all influence it. Yeah. And when you get enough people playing in that arena, it tends to help bring the price to a more fair value. Right. So the whole idea being that the, the market, the, the more participants you have, the cleaner price discovery tends to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, few participants, you know, bigger gaps. It's, it's kind of like real estate in a, in a big city, a lot more comps mm-hmm. typically than in a small town where only four houses sold. Right. right. So, so you're going to have more better price discovery when there's more active participation. That's also why stock markets can have moment to moment pricing because the transactions are occurring constantly. In fact, 24 hours a day, they're, they're all, they're happening around the clock, around the world all the time. So anyway, very, very important to consider that the interest rate influences all of the markets. Mm. Okay. So then what impact does the Fed have on all of this? Okay. I would like to know. Me too. But we have to take our last obscene profit. All right. All right, gang. If you're ready to be fed up with more information, that is, stick around for more bad puns. Yes. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM. And 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome to the home stretch here, the True Wealth Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. Matt, interest is an interesting thing in this market. Yeah. Do you want to give, like, kind of a high level summary of kind of what we talked about and maybe what it means for the investors that are listening to the show? Right. If you want the entire radio show condensed to like 15 seconds, it goes something like this. Markets set interest rates, okay, based on how confident people are about the future values and stability of currency. The less Mm -hmm. confident we are, typically the higher the rates go because we want to be compensated for risk. Yep. When you talk about risk compensation, it it ripples through the whole system. So stock prices, bond prices, real estate, they all get touched by it. But the market is really the tip of the spear in what drives those rates. We often think it's the other way around. We think it's the Federal Reserve, but that's just not the case. The Fed does, however, have an influence. And that's the last thing I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Okay? See, what the Fed gets to do is half of the equation. There is fiscal policy and monetary policy. Okay, Monetary policy is what the Fed's involved in. Think about it like whether or not more money is allowed into the system. Do banks get more access to money and can they lend it out to more people? Right. They're kind of the controller of the dam, right? Like they can open it up and let the water go out or they can plug it up and hold the water back. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. And the Fed historically up until maybe the last 10 years used interest rates as their primary tool. They then started to become a buyer of government bonds as well. And in rare cases, they even bought the private sector's bonds or stocks, which makes it really interesting because the Federal Reserve is not technically a government body, even though some of the officials associated with it are appointed by the government. They're sort of an independent, which makes it an odd dance here because Mm -hmm. the Fed buying these instruments, it doesn't show up on the government's balance sheet, right? And so if the government says, oh, we're gonna print treasuries, 
the term quantitative easing came from the idea that the Fed, who actually operates the printing presses, they don't technically crank the printing presses up mechanically, like physically print more money, but they go onto their computer, they add a couple more zeros, and then they just take those treasuries and sweep them outside of the government onto their balance sheet as a purchase. And now they have bought those bonds and created demand. More demand drives yields lower, mm -hmm. right? Because they can buy up the things that nobody else wants to buy, therefore stabilizing interest rates. So the Fed could drive interest rates down by being a huge purchaser of bonds, okay? That's the monetary policy side of things. They control how much banks lend, the, the rate at which banks lend to each other, and now through the quantitative process of buying or selling government securities, or if they're not selling them, they simply hang on to them until they mature and roll off their balance sheet. They can do that as well. But that process of quantitative easing is the monetary policy side of the equation. The other side is probably a lot harder to fix. That mm -hmm. is fiscal policy. And this involves the government uh, coalescing around the idea of doing something financially healthy for the economy. Yeah, and when I just, was the last time we saw the government do something financially healthy? Uh, and and that's the thing. This isn't partisan because, I mean... No, it's, it's not. It, frankly, it's getting harder and harder to discern between the two parties. You know, they could say they're going to do one thing, but then when it comes to legislation, you look at it and say popular opinion versus what actually happens, and it just kind of keeps grinding along. Like this whole thing right now, Janet Yellen says, oh, you know, Treasury's going to run out of money by as soon as June 1st. And I'm so jaded by this. Here's what I expect to happen. Blah, 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 blah. My team's good. Your team sucks. We're never going to negotiate because we hate each other. 11th hour, we make some deal and we raise the debt ceiling. And we keep spending like we always do. Yep. Right? Because and, when have we not done that? Right. And so they've conditioned me not only to not care, but to not believe them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there will be some compromise because it's politically expedient it's, it's for It's political everyone. banter is all it is. Yeah. And so... The problem here is that when you look at where in the system, there's just not enough incentive for the good behavior. And so everybody largely coalesces around these ideas of just kicking the can down the road. Do I think it will have ramifications someday? Yes. Yes, I do. Do I know what they are not? and when they'll happen? Yeah. No. But I think it will. I don't think you can invent money and have society permanently trust that the money is valuable. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the more we destabilize this, the more we destabilize trust. And at some point that will come back to haunt us. Right. OK. And if you think the answer is to go buy gold or something like that, I'm just going to laugh because they go, well, then why gold? Well, you know, it's been around forever, this, that and the other. But it's denominated in dollars. And it's like, well, if you can't use the gold. Then what? Like broccoli might be more valuable than gold if you're starving. Mm hmm. So, you know, we get back to if the whole world breaks down, we go back into a feudal system, right? And that's really what it comes down to. It's it's going to be sort of a combination of Mad Max versus Knights of the Round Table. Right. Like uh, if the U.S. breaks and the U.S. dollar breaks, everything breaks. Yeah. And, and it ha so much has to go wrong because we still have a lot of infrastructure that survives. Mm -hmm. And it's really independent of the dollar itself. So I don't think it's going to snap the way people think and like we all need to like have bug out somewhere in the mountains and live off the land with a couple of goats. I just don't think that's what it is. <laughs> but that sounds like so right. much fun, David. Well, I mean, Sign somebody me said that before, I guarantee, <laughs> but that's not what I think the, how this goes down. I just think it gets to a point of which everybody looks around and goes, we don't believe you anymore and your dollars, we don't want them. 
Mm-hmm. Right. We'll just we'd rather trade it in commodities or something else. And at that point, we have a tremendous problem. It's going to take a while because everybody's in on it. Like all of the major countries are printing money. And so if everybody's doing it, we can all pretend the emperor is still wearing clothes. But at some point, somebody will wise up and be like, we got a problem here. And I'm not here to fix it on air today. I'm just here to tell you that interest really is interesting. The cost of risk really does matter to us as investors. And that's not going away just because somebody says that, you know, an interest rate, they wave a wand and it does this or it does that. We all know better. We're just, we just keep minding our business, right? There's this sort of silence and acquiescence, but I don't know how long it'll last. What I do know is we'll do the part to the best that we can. If this is a system we have, let's play as well as we can in it and make the best decisions possible. And that means good understanding and good decisions. So at the end of the day, if you're uncomfortable or you lack the confidence or the skills or the time or whatever else it is, how do they reach us, Matt? Give us a phone call. 541-375-0898. That's it. And um, there's the music, so you know it's time. Look, we would love to help you. If it's not coming to us, please find somebody that you can trust, that you get along with, and get the help that you need. Um, feel free to check out other free resources we have. You can go to littlejohnfs.com. And again, you can reach us for a free consultation at 541-375-0898. But we're out of time. So until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.